in him be found, oh yeah Dressed in his righteousness alone Always stand before the throne Give me cheese. 
If you're able to kneel with me for prayer, will you do so? Dear Heavenly Father, we are bowed before you, and we acknowledge and recognize that you alone are our refuge and ever-present help in time of trouble. You direct our paths. You are the light. You are our hope. And we just thank you, Lord, uh, for your presence with us this morning. We welcome your presence. And I just pray, Lord, that as we are... um, gathered remotely this morning that, Lord, that we, would, uh, that we would all sense your presence with us, that our hearts would be open to receive the word that you have for us, Lord, that we would recognize that, um, that you are at work among us. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you that your presence is with us this morning. And I pray for Conrad. I pray, Lord, that he would uh, keep his eyes fixed and focused on you, that he would, I just pray against any distraction for him, Lord, that he would, um, that he would deliver the word clearly and with boldness and courage that you have for all of us this morning. I pray, Lord, for um, strength for him, and uh, I pray that your shield of protection would be around him as he delivers this word. May it sink also deep into his heart as he shares what you've laid on his heart, Lord, for this morning. So we commit all this into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the words of my heart, Father, and the meditation of my heart, words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, always be acceptable in your sight, including this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a blessing to be with you this morning, wherever you're at, at home, on the road, or if you are tuning in later. Just a note for the children. Um, Yesterday, Heidi and I put on the Facebook page um, in several different places, and so as we work forward in this, we will get it straightened out. But there is a children's ministry page, and some of the materials you'll find in the news feed. There are six music videos. There is Mac the Rhino, who has a memory uh, video for today or for this uh, week, memory verse on finding refuge in God. And um, so some of it's in the news feed, some of it's in the, if it's in the news feed, the videos, it's also in the videos section. Um, We'll get it straightened out. But I just, and I just was checking here as I got started, did a 20-minute video for the children this morning of the life of Joseph. The story for today is life of Joseph. And so I hope you enjoy it, kids. I had a little fun with it. Um, for, for children and for adults, I did a uh, two-day social media seminar over the weekend and uh, realized there's a lot more that we can be doing as ministers um, to improve our game, and uh, we'll be doing that on the website and on Facebook as well, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm going to try to do my first TikTok this afternoon, so we'll see how that goes. Um, there are a lot of Christians on TikTok, and so we'll see how that goes uh, this afternoon. You can look for that. This morning's message is called Refuge in Rejection, or another way of thinking about it is a haven from hell. 
Refuge in rejection and a haven from hell. Psalm 62 is where I'd like to begin this morning, and so if you have a Bible, I'd like to turn, encourage you to turn to that passage. It's the scripture for the week. I sent out the weekly email on uh, Monday, and this was the Psalm of the Week. And again, I just want to encourage you to hang out in the Psalm of the Week. It's amazing to me how just staying in one passage, and I read others as well, but this is the central one always for me is the Psalm of the Week. What God says to us over the course of the week, because God doesn't speak to us just at one point, but it's over the course of the week that there's this kind of cumulative effect. Thank you, Heidi. It's over the course of the week that there's kind of this cumulative effect of God speaking to you. And then over the course of a lifetime, a course of years, there's this cumulative effect of staying. So I go through the same Psalm series every year. So a year ago, I would have been back in 62, uh, Psalm 62. And so along the margins of my Bible, I will have notes from a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. Or in my prayer, in my devotional book, the same, same thing. I have notes in the margins. And those margins always remind me of where I was a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago and how God has taken care of us and taken care of me in that time. And this is a most beautiful psalm. It's actually one of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's psalms in which he bases his sermon, one of his sermons when he was in Spain. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, of course, is the, was the leader of the Confessing Church in Germany during Hitler's Third Reich, who refused to go along with Hitler and uh, what he was doing and the, 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 the murder of the Jews and others that he was engaged in. It's a beautiful psalm, and I'm going to walk you through it this morning and also reflect on Joseph's life. So children, if you're watching now, you're going to hear some things that are also connected to um, the video that is about up. Uh, it's, it's about up on YouTube, and then I'm going to take it from YouTube to Facebook uh, later this morning. Psalm 62, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and we're going to walk through the psalm with reading a couple of verses, and then some meditation, reflection, and then reading, and so on. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, and I love how the psalmist says, truly, indeed, for sure, in our language today, for sure he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will never be shaken. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will never be shaken. Whoever this psalmist is, he or she's in a difficult place. Most places that are difficult for us are difficult because in some ways or another, we are alone. Being alone always makes us feel more um, like the difficulties we are experiencing are, in fact, more difficult. Alone, isolated, separated from others who we've counted on to get us through difficult times. Sometimes that aloneness is due to rejection by others, and the psalmist seems to be in that place, as we're going to see in the next few verses. Sometimes God has simply called us into a place where where others have not been called, and so we feel alone, or others have not been willing to go, and so we feel alone. Whatever the case, this psalmist seems to be experiencing rejection from somebody that we're going to see in the next few verses, from somebody who was close to him and now has become his enemy who is determined, he says, to take him out, who is beating on him until they hope that he falls. This morning's story for the children that I reflect on in the video is about Joseph and how I'm sure Joseph could have identified with this psalm. The psalm, of course, was not written yet, 
But Joseph lived out of experiences of rejection. If you remember, his brothers were jealous of him, and they conspired to kill him, and eventually sold him into slavery in Egypt. So perhaps the psalmist was like Joseph, facing folks who were close to him, who were to love him and care about him, but who were intent on toppling him from his lofty place. Remember, Joseph was the one who had this dream, or several dreams, in which he was in charge, and people were bowing down to him. And so Joseph indeed knew what it was to be in a lofty place. In his family, he was his father's favorite. His father had made this coat of many colors. But his brothers were intent on toppling him. But the psalmist, before going on to describe what he's experiencing, this rejection, this difficult time, grounds himself in remembering that no matter what or no matter who, his soul will find rest in God. No matter what is against him or who is against him, his soul will find rest in God alone. And I love how at the end of the chapter he reflects that in God alone, nobody else, in God alone, he will find refuge. He will find salvation. My salvation comes from God alone. This morning, I'd like you to think for a moment about in what way is God our salvation? In what way does God invite us right now in the moment where you're at, in the experience that you're having, whether it's related to other people or whether it's related to some situation that you've experienced, um, whether it's you've been unemployed or chronic illness or terminal illness or financial difficulty or fear or anxiety, whatever it is, God alone is our salvation. This psalm never gets old. That's the wonderful thing about the scripture. The scriptures never get old. They're always relevant to the situation and world that we find ourselves in. In what ways are you perhaps not allowing God to be your salvation? In what ways is God inviting you to find rest in him this morning? I'd like you to think for that, for the, about that for just a moment with me. In what ways is God inviting you to find rest in him this morning? Because he is. He's inviting you to find your refuge in him to find rest in him. I've said for 20 years of preaching that the way to find rest in God, first and foremost, is to spend time with God. Spend time intentionally listening for God's voice. And I talked with the kids this morning about that as Joseph. And I'm going to repeat myself. If we are not spending regular time with God, in God's word, sitting with God, resting in his presence, dwelling in his, in his presence. We should not have enough, we should not expect to have enough wisdom to negotiate the difficult times we're in. Because our wisdom that we have comes from resting in God, comes from those moments with God that, as I've said, have a cumulative effect on our lives. That if we begin children in particular and young people as children and youth to begin spending time with God, it will impact your life for the rest of your life. It will sometimes mean that you see things differently than people around you because you've been dwelling in God for a long, long time. You are deeply, deeply grounded in God. And a world around us that is not dwelling in God will not see things the same way that you see them when you have spent time dwelling with God. When you know God because you've been with God. Moses' perspective, for example, as the leader of the Israelites, was very different than his people. Why? Because he went to the tent of meeting. He had a perspective that God had given him over the years that was a heavenly perspective, that was a different perspective. But Moses is not special. We can all 
attain that kind of perspective as we spend time resting in God. This psalmist knew how to rest in God. This psalmist knew that he needed to stay grounded in, the, in, in God, not in what other people were saying about him. But he's going to start with God. As I've said, and as I said in the weekly email this week, if you've heard nothing that I've preached for 20 years, except that we need, we need, we need like someone who's dying needs, in the same way, we need a life with God. We need time with God. If that's all you ever remember, that's enough for me. I'll be satisfied. Because in these treacherous and challenging times that we're in, we cannot take confidence in the counsel of those who claim to know Christ or who claim Christ but do not know Christ, who don't know him intimately, who haven't spent time with him, who if we understood and checked in on them would find that they're not dwelling and finding rest in God. Please be among those who know God, who love God, who've come to understand that that he's on our side, that he has our back, that he keeps inviting us to dwell with him. For me, I have to say over the last year, and some of you sense this, it's been, a, it's been a, a time of grief, sometimes deeper than others, to watch a church in our nation that has turned to things other than God, that had clearly been turning to things other than God, but it just became more clear this year. Not only have I exhorted you over and over again to develop a life with God, to spend time with God, special time with God, I want to... I'm just going to be more specific. I have two places where I meet with God, on the porch in the summertime and in our lower room in the wintertime. It's that place, and Heidi shared it in her mental health moment this week, where it's a, it's a proprietary space. It's a space where we just hang out. And when I go to that space, where I've been with God comes back to me in that moment. All of the times that I've been with God in those places come back to me in those moments. It is my space. It is my time to dwell with God. So not only have I exhorted you to develop a life with God as one you can know and love, I've also exhorted you to keep your eyes on Christ. In the midst of all the most difficult times, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is writing our story if we allow him to, the one who perfects us in the, in the image of God that we were created with, perfects that image like a sculptor creates and, 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 and perfects. Through the ups and downs of the past 20 years, this has been my plea to you, to develop a life with God and to keep your eyes fixed on Christ, to follow Christ's example, to carry your cross in the name of Christ, to know Christ. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, Verse 7, but whatever was gained to me, whatever was to my advantage before, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth. I love that, that, that adjective. The worth, the value of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You hear that? Resting in him. That when, when trouble comes, that I am found in him. When difficulty comes, I am found in him. When rejection comes, I am found always in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith again in Christ, resting in Christ, trusting in Christ, believing in Christ, knowing Christ. 
the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he pours out his heart like the psalmist in this passage in 62. I want to know Christ. And you can hear it almost echo through the heavens. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I am aware that as a leader, as every leader, I sometimes understand or take perspectives or positions that are not always appreciated or understood. But I want you to know that the things I believe and the things I stand for come out of my understanding of who Jesus is. And so we may not always see eye to eye, but I want to promise you that my understanding and my perspective comes out of my life with God and my understanding of who Jesus is and what, I, what he expects of us, his disciples. I want to assure you of that. And in that knowledge, I find peace. Resting in God brings peace, even when we may disagree with others. Because it's in that place with God where he checks our conscience, he checks our hearts. It's that place with God where this morning as I met with God, he ministered to me in ways that I needed to be ministered before I came up and preached this morning. But that's not just true this morning. That's true many mornings for me. He did things and does things when we meet with him that we cannot do ourselves. We can't work ourselves into the space we need to be, but he can do that as we rest in him. This week at 3 a.m., I awoke and got up. And as I walked out the door of our room to, to make coffee, I heard this song running through my head that I have not sung for dec- probably decades. Um, an old song. Um, I, I don't sing. But it was in my head, and it was the haven of rest, that hymn, running through my mind. And I went down by the fire, and I just listened over and over and over again to this old song. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress, till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice, and I entered the haven of rest. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep over wild stormy deep. In Jesus, I'm safe evermore. I yielded myself to his tender embrace in faith taking hold of the word, My fetters fell off and I anchored my soul. The haven of rest is my Lord. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep over the wild stormy deep. In Jesus, I'm safe evermore. If you've not listened to that song or aren't familiar with it, I encourage you to listen to it. The Gaithers have a version and there are multiple versions around. The psalmist goes on after reminding us to stay grounded and resting in Christ, our haven from the storms. And he says to those who are around him, whoever it is that's rejected him, how long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Let's think for a moment again about the story of Joseph. And I talk about this a lot, kids. Rejection for Joseph was the, one of the constant things in his life. As much as things changed around him, one of the things that did not change is that he was constantly rejected. 
but he was a good man. There's nothing the scripture says, one of the few saints in the scripture about whom there is nothing said that we can really say how bad about Joseph, um, that we can identify as sin as Joseph. Maybe he was arrogant, who knows? But it's not clear. The scripture doesn't say that. And so for Joseph, rejection was not a measure of whether he was right or wrong. Rejection by others was not an indicator of whether he was right or wrong. And it's certainly never a measure of our value in God's eyes. That is, the rejection of others is never, and I want to say this to you children in particular, and I think I did this morning, rejection by other people, our friends or others, is never a measure of how God sees us, ever. Because God will never, ever reject you. God will never, ever reject us. In Joseph's case, his rejection by others was so consistent And it always related to the fact that he was faithful, that he was honest, that he had integrity. So sometimes we will be rejected because we are honest, because we have integrity, because we are faithful. Let none of us take rejection as a sign that we are wrong. We always have to spend time with God asking if we're wrong. It's certainly never a sign of of us not having value with God. Instead, for Joseph, his rejection was always a sign of obedience and faithfulness. He was rejected by brothers who tried to kill him, who threw him in a pit and then sold him to Egyptian slave traders. He was rejected by Potiphar because he resisted the advances of Potiphar's wife, because he had integrity. He was rejected in prison when the cupbearer, to whom he had given the answer to a dream, rejected him. And again, kids, you'll see me talking about those stories. Yet each time Joseph experienced rejection by others, each time God provided a refuge, God provided a dwelling place, God provided a safe space for Joseph, a space for him to rest, a place where Joseph was always favored, a place where Joseph was always honored. And so the story of Joseph's life is that you begin to see he moved from rejection to rejection, but also from refuge to refuge. We see that without the rejection, he would never have received the refuge. His path that God had charted for Joseph's life was one from rejection to refuge, to rejection to refuge, to rejection to refuge, and on and on. Until he arrived at that place where God wanted him to be. That destiny that God had for his life, but it took him time and again through rejection and refuge, rejection and refuge. And I don't think he would have arrived as the head of Egypt next only to Pharaoh had he not walked faithfully through rejection. There's no evidence, and we'll talk about this in a moment, there's no evidence that Joseph ever allowed himself to become bitter towards those who rejected him. None! Do I think he had questions? I'm sure he did. Do I think he probably had some tough times of prayer with God? I'm sure he did. It's clear that he followed God. He reflects, he speaks of God time and again. I can't do that because of God. He knew God. He knew what God required of him, and he trusted God and knew that he could find refuge in God no matter what was going on around him. I believe that all of us also face throughout our lives, and you can probably think of some, experiences of rejection and refuge. Because that rejection and refuge strengthen our faith and prepare us for the next experience. Every time I go through a difficult experience and realize God's faithfulness, I also think about the fact that this experience is just preparing me for the next one, that there will always be another one 
but God prepares us for those by helping us to walk through the first one and then the second one, and then he leads us on to the third one until we get to that place where ultimately he can use us. But he's been using us all along as we have rested in him, as we've trusted in him. I don't know of any saint who's ever gotten where God calls them to be who hasn't walked through rejection and found refuge in God and rejection and found refuge in God. And I think it's true that unless we experience rejection, we'll never seek God. Why would, we, why would we feel a need to do that? The pattern for us as human beings is that we tend not to seek God unless we need him. Of course, we always need him, but unless we are aware that we need him. And there's nothing like rejection by others, as Joseph learned, to send him to God. It is that experience that the psalmist is having where others are seeking to topple him, where he is sent to God. Unfortunately, there are many who experience rejection by others, but never, who know God, but never come back to God. But Joseph is so clear in understanding that the path, and he talks about this later, the path of rejection and refuge was orchestrated by a sovereign God. My mother told me a story this week of my grandfather, who was drafted in World War II, and some of you know about CPS camps, went to CPS with Erwin Whitmer, actually, who used to attend, who's deceased, Vernon's father, in Luray, Virginia. But my grandfather was drafted because the head of the draft board in Belleville was angry with him. His name did not come up except that it was intentionally pulled because my grandfather had worked for this individual who owned a, a dairy in Belleville. And my grandfather was a very good worker, but did not want to work Sundays. And so he left the dairy and went to the Belleville flour mills, where he did not have to work Sunday. And when his name came, when, when, they, when they were drafting guys for World War II, they pulled Pap's name. And he was sure that that's what happened. And later on, the draft board leader, the chair, would come back to Pap years later and apologize for unjustly pulling his name so that he had to leave his young family his pregnant wife, who was pregnant with my mother, and go to LaBrave, Virginia, for two years. But my mom said Pap never spoke bitterly of that experience, that even though he knew, was sure that he had been unjustly sent away from his family, he refused to be bitter, and he believed and said that God has his hand in this. God is sovereign over our lives. And so, friends, when, even when we experience rejection and bitterness, God is still sovereign over that. God still has his hand in our lives. There is nothing that falls into our lives that hasn't been sifted through God's hands first. That doesn't mean God did it, but God has permitted it. God has allowed it, and God is sovereign over it. We are Because we're never, ever alone in our experience. One of the passages that reminds us of this truth is from Genesis the Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything, Joseph found favor and became his attendant. Time and again, Joseph found favor, whether it was Potiphar, whether it was in the prison, whether it was with Pharaoh. Scripture also says that when Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison. And so the warden put him in charge. This is just the story of Joseph's life. 
Had he gone to Potiphar's house bitter, had he gone to Egypt bitter, had he gone to Pharaoh bitter, had he gone to prison bitter, he never would have gotten where he got. How we respond to the situations we are in matters, folks. It matters in terms of where God takes us next. If we cave into the rejection and become bitter and resentful, God cannot take us to the next place he has us because we will take that baggage with us. And he's not about to do that until we've unloaded the baggage, until we've given him what we're carrying. And then we know the end of the story, many of us, that Joseph ends up going to Egypt and becoming next to Pharaoh. And then his brothers need food, and they hear that somebody, some guy in Pharaoh, has created this, uh, this strategy for keeping food going for seven years of famine. And so they say, we have to go there. And of course, he messes with their brains, their minds for a little bit. But then he reveals himself to them in tears. And they're, they're afraid of him because they have, they've given him a death sentence. And here they find out he's still alive and they're afraid of what he could do to them. And he says to them, I'm your brother, Joseph. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I love that phrase, ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine, and for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But again, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. And he goes on to again credit God. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Do you see that, folks? We blame situations. We blame other people. We blame ourselves without understanding that God is still sovereign. And sometimes God sends us ahead of other people. Sometimes we are misunderstood because we're actually sent ahead of. The prophets in Israel and Judah were sent ahead of the people to prophesy exile. They were not believed typically until it came to pass. But sometimes we are sent ahead of where others will later come. Sometimes there's misunderstanding in being sent ahead of. But the psalmist comes back and says, again, after talking about the people out to topple him, he doesn't spend his time there. He lets it go. He releases it to God. And he says, oh, my soul, verse 5, find rest in God. He starts talking to himself. Find rest. Don't get hung up on who's setting out to topple you. Soul, 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 find rest in God. My hope, remember, remember, my hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. He talks himself into the reality again because he has to. Because like you and me, we tend to slip. We go back and we, we begin to foster bitterness and resentment and, and what's happening in our lives. But we've, we've got to speak ourselves back into God's reality as we spend time with God and we hear him and he say, yes, he's my rest. He's my salvation. He's the one who honors me. He's the one who always is with me. He's my hope. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He gives me honor. He's my refuge. One of the things that I was reflecting on this morning is I could feel myself struggling as I was meeting with God to feel like I had to somehow make my heart right before I met with him. It's been an age-old struggle of mine, this fear that, or the sense that somehow I have to get things right before I meet with God. But that's, that's impossible. And I was reminded, no, Con, just come to God this morning. Just come as you are. 
We don't come perfectly. We come to be made perfect. We don't come clean to God, but we come to be made clean. We don't come sanctified, but to be made sanctified. We don't come holy, but to be made holy. We don't come without needs, but to give those needs to God. Just come, just come, just come as we are, just as I am. It is a trick of the enemy, a trick of the devil to make us think that we have to get ourselves right before we come to God. If that was true, Jesus never had to come rescue us because we could never make ourselves right. George MacDonald, Scottish poet, one of my favorites who impacted Lewis, C.S. Lewis says this, and it's one of, I love this. That person is perfect in faith, perfect in faith, not because they're good. That person is perfect in faith who can come to God in the utter dearth of their feelings, the depth of their feelings, the dearth of their feelings and their desires. Whether those desires are sinful or reflect bitterness or resentment or whatever or unforgiveness. He says, that person is perfect in faith who comes to God just as they are without a glow or an aspiration. With the weight, the weight, the burden of low thoughts, of failures, of neglects, of forget, wondering forgetfulness. We might say rejection. person who can come to God with all that's on their backpack, in their backpack that morning and simply say to him, you are my refuge because you are my home. You are my refuge because you are my home. There is not one person that I can go to in this world or anyone that can come to me because I'm not perfect either by any long shot where I can go and say, just as I am, with all that's in me that I know is faulty and flawed and wrong, and say, you are my refuge because you are my home, and know that I am received just as I am. But it's true of God. It's true when we find rest in God. We come just as we are. Because it says we come just as we are, that he begins to do his work on us. I've, I've said earlier this year that there's a prayer that St. Augustine has that I've been praying every day. It was one of my devotional prayers in my book, and I decided it would be my prayer for this year. Lord, enlarge the door of my heart that you may enter in. Enlarge the door of my heart that you may enter in. And Augustine goes on and says, save me from secret sins and strange sins. Save me from secret sins and strange sins. Folks, only God can do that, but only as we rest in him. And then as the psalmist finds strength, as he's been talking to himself and he's been reminding himself that my soul finds rest in God, my hope comes from him, he's my rock, my salvation, my fortress, and my, my honor depends on him, and on and on, he begins to admonish the people. That is, he find, as he rests in God, he begins to have strength to remind others to rest in him. And so in verse 8, he says, come on, folks, come on, come on, come on, trust in him at all times, you people. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. I found him to be so, he's saying. Surely the lowborn are just a breath. The highborn are a lie. They're deceptive. They're a mirage. If weighed on a balance, they're nothing. Together, they're only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put your hope in vain, vain or put your vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. He reminds them of the kinds of things that we so often set our hearts on. People in high places, wealth, 
wealth of ill-gotten gain, wealth that we've gotten as ill-gotten gain or wealth that we've earned legitimately, whatever, regardless, he says, don't put your trust in people and things. Don't. Your rest is in God. And then he finishes, one thing God has spoken and two things have I heard, that power belongs to God, to you, O God. And this becomes a prayer for him at the end because he begins to come, he begins to address God. Power belongs to you, O God, and with you is unfailing love. This psalmist understood by spending time with God. This this reality was deep in his heart. It wasn't just words on a page for him. It was deep in his heart that God, his God in whom he found rest, was powerful, all-powerful. And this God in whom he found rest had unfailing love. Unfailing. Never stopping. Unceasing. Love for him and for all people. And for the psalmist, that was clearly enough. A God who is all-powerful and a God who is all-loving and a God who invites you this morning and invites me to find our rest in him. It's as if we were boxing and we were fighting and we had an opponent and the bell rings and we come back to our corner and God gathers around us and he says, Look, you've been fighting a hard battle. Take a time out here. Just hang out with me. Let me nourish you. Let me take care of your wounds. Let me take care of where you've gotten beat up. Let me take care of your fears of going back out in that ring. Just hang out here with me in my corner. Because I want you to know you're in my corner and I'm in your corner. Find rest, my soul, in God alone. He ends with a kind of ominous reminder, though, that it matters what we do. What I've been preaching about this morning matters. It matters whether we find rest in God or not. It matters whether we develop a life with God or not. It matters whether we keep our eyes focused on Christ or not. It matters for eternity. Because he says this, you reward everyone according to what they have done. It matters what we do. But what we do if we spend time with God is much closer to being faithful to God and according to his plans and purpose for us than if we are just out there on our own trying to find our way. Because we will never find our way unless we rest in God. We will never find our way unless we rest in God. I'm going to have a prayer, and after the prayer, consider yourself dismissed. I pray that God is with you. I know he's with you, but that he's able to speak to you through this word this morning. Lord God, we come to you and we find our rest in you. We thank you that scripture is full of this invitation to rest in you. And we confess that we are pulled time and again away from that rest and away from you. And away from the reality that our only rest is you and you are our only rest. God, as we have heard your word this morning, we pray that that word would grip our hearts. Take, that that word would be taken into our hearts and we into the, your heart. To be able to spend time resting in you in these days, in these days that are so tumultuous, in these days in which there is so much we could be listening to and giving voice of our fears to, may we rest in you and trust in you. 
and where we've developed struggles and resentment and bitterness through whatever our experiences have been, just, just wash us by your blood. In that fountain of blood, just cleanse our hearts, wash away the residue, make us clean, make us whole, make us vessels that you can use for your purposes, for you are our God. And we say together, you are all-powerful and you are all-loving. Amen and amen. Go in God's peace and blessing to you.